The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. No ransom, no deliverance from the pit of hell. But God's so happy when he said that in Job 33:24, deliver him from going down to the pit, I found a ransom. And that's really good news for us. That's great news for us. Now, we've seen how the blood also was the purchase money. It was what was used. It was what was used to purchase our souls, to buy us back. Because everyone that commits sin is the servant of sin. He's the slave of sin. He's the bond person of sin. And he's gotta be bought back. That's called redemption. That's called redemption. And we're told in 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18, that we are redeemed with precious blood, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without, blood, without blemish and without spot. So to us, that blood is, behold, the blood of good news. It's behold, the blood of our redemption. Now, then we saw how desperately we just needed to have our sins covered. Just cover them. That's what Adam and Eve knew as soon as after they fell. Just cover the shame. Cover the sins because it's so shameful. And nothing could cover our sins except the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the whole meaning behind Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11 where God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement. The word atonement means covering. To make a covering for your souls. It's the blood that makes a covering. It's the blood that makes an atonement for our souls. So for us, the blood of the Lord Jesus is, behold, the blood of the covering, the covering of our sins. Now, one of the most terrible things that happens, that has happened as a result of sin, is this distancing that it causes from God. Every time any person says, says something they shouldn't have said, sin, thinks something they shouldn't have thought, sin, or does something, sin, it just creates, it just widens the gap. It creates this greater and greater distance between the person and God. It's this distance, and the question of the great crisis is, how do you, how do you fix that? How do you bring back together again? After all this sin has created the great distance, what brings back man and God together? And this is where it's so important when it says in Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 13, 
But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that brings back together. It brings near. So for us, the blood of the Lord Jesus is, behold the blood that brings us near to God. Now, another terrible consequence of sin is what it does for us internally, internally, because I've been speaking about external things, but internally what it does is it makes us really dirty inside. It makes us filthy. It makes us like, it makes, it makes us like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Just terrible. And, and, and the problem is that all that is bubbling out of our hearts. And that's what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19. Keep in mind that the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. It's the thought that's sin. Acts also, words also, but the thought is sin. So when the Lord Jesus spoke about this, he said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. What kind of evil thoughts? Evil thoughts of murder, evil thoughts of adultery, evil thoughts of fornication, evil thoughts of stealing, evil thoughts of lying, evil thoughts of blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man. So we so desperately needed a way. Where's the soap? Where's the OxyClean that can clean us from the inside? It only exists in the blood of the Lord Jesus from 1 John 1.7, 1 John 1.7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So for us, it's behold the blood that cleanses. Now, another terrible consequence of sin is that it robs us of peace. It makes, it disturbs us internally. It makes us get up at 2 a.m. in the morning. It, 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 it makes us like what the Bible calls the troubled sea in Isaiah 57.20. Isaiah 57.20 says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God to the wicked. But this all changed. This all changed, and that problem was fixed by the blood. Because Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20 says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. So for us, it's behold the blood that makes peace with God. So now we continue now to see more of what the blood does. Now, our sins not just left us with the, de- with the need to be redeemed, which the blood did do for us, the blood accomplished. Our sins not just left us with the need to be brought near to God, which the blood did. Our sins not just left us with the need to be cleansed, which the blood of the Lord Jesus did. It not just left us with troubled heart, but the blood of the Lord Jesus brought the peace of God, the need for to be the peace of God. It did that. But our sins left us with a crying need for our sins to be removed removed or expunged from the record. Now, the reason we needed to have that is because each person, every person is heading for a critical day, a day that's described in the Bible in Acts 17.31 as an appointed day. Acts 17.31 says, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof? He hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the day, from the dead. See, that day is a day that every person is going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And God wants there to be no mistake about it. God wants to be no doubt about it. So he gave a special assurance. And the special assurance that he gave, so that everybody will know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only judge who will judge all men. The special assurance that he gave is the resurrection. Now, in, in Jerusalem, the empty tomb is one of the most visited tourist sites that there is in Israel. And, 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 uh, and our friend uh, Caesar Flytus, he's one of the tour directors there, and he gives those tours, and he writes all the time about the, all the different groups from all over the world and different languages that come to see the empty tomb. Now, the empty tomb has several messages. It has a message of victory over death. It has a message of the power of the Lord Jesus. But there's one message that the empty tomb speaks of, and that message is the fact that the Lord Jesus will judge every person. That's the assurance that God gave. So there's this time appointed, this day appointed, just like it says in Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Everybody wants to know, what's gonna happen after death? What's gonna happen after death? You ask a lost person that, he always gives you the same answer. I don't know, and you don't know, and nobody knows, and I hope nobody knows, but he's wrong. Say, because God's made it very clear. God's made it very clear what's gonna happen after death, judgment. Judgment's gonna happen after death. A person closes their eyes in death, the next time they open their eyes will be for judgment. As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every secret thought. That's frightening. And action and word is going to be brought into open for judgment. Now, a man has no chance, none of, it, nobody, none of us, no one in the world has any chance of surviving that judgment. The only hope of surviving bringing out in the open all these old secret thoughts and everything is to have all the sins removed, have them removed, have them expunged from the record before the day of judgment. And the fact that the, the, of judgment, the fact of judgment, it makes for every person the absolute necessity to have this removal of sins. Now, the Bible, the Bible uses a word for removing sins called remission, remission. And this is the important verse in Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22 says almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no removal, is no removal. Because we are all, when God looks down on us, or when we look at ourselves, I should say, when we look at ourselves, I thought about that, I thought, well, the sad fact is, is that the world is sinful. And it's not possible to stop living in a negative world of sin because the world is sinful. But to ignore the fact of sin and, and to not prepare for judgment and not have sins removed, that's a catastrophe, an unnecessary catastrophe. But the statement that the rabbi said there, it shows a very common thinking that sin is a problem of the world. It's the problem of perception. It's a problem of thinking that, well, if there's sin, then it just originated from the faulty society that we live in. All we gotta do is just transform the world, as he said. Change the world, and we'll solve the sin problem. This is the wrong idea that the problem of sin is simply just originated from the world. That's wrong. And society's just going in the wrong direction. All we have to do is, is join the right Democratic Party, and then we'll get it all straightened out. But, but it, and if we can get rid of sin, then we can just change the direction of the world. But the Bible doesn't agree. 
The Bible doesn't agree with this conclusion that sin comes from the world. Another lie that people have, that people hold to, is that sin comes from dysfunctional families. And the reason people do sinful things is because they don't have a good upbringing. They just weren't raised right. They weren't raised in good families. When they were growing up, they didn't have good role models. That's where the origin of sin comes from, a bad family, bad social development. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. So all we'd have to do to get rid of sin is just change the families, make them wholesome again. Get rid, get rid of sin, change dads to be good dads, change moms to be good moms, and go back to the good old leave it to beaver days. But the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible doesn't agree that the origin of sin comes from the home. And then another deception is when people say, well, sin comes from Hollywood, it comes from the media. All that glorification of murder and war and infidelity and, and hatred, it's all Hollywood. And they're the ones who put all these wrong ideas in our heads. And if we get rid of, if we, do, we can get rid of sin if we just change Hollywood, just have them start making wholesome films again, you know, all with G ratings. But the Bible doesn't agree. Bible doesn't agree with that at all. Now, another exception is where people say, well, sin comes from temptations. That's what it is, it's the temptations. There are so many temptations today. Temptations to take drugs, easy access to drugs all over the place. Temptations from the internet to fall into pornography. Temptations from the pressures, the pressures of life, the stresses, and that's where all sin comes from. That's what the psychologist uh, told my father. My father brought me to the head of psychology at UCLA, and he said to him, he says, uh, it was his friend, he says, tell me what's wrong with my boy, you know? And so the psychologist, like I said, he talked to me, asked me a lot of questions, come back to my father, says, Eddie, you know, my father's name was Eddie Cantor, but he wasn't that Eddie Cantor, but anyway. Eddie, he says, the boy is basically good. He says, Tommy is basically a good boy. That was his father. And, and uh, but LA is a bad place, you know? And, and so the problem with Tommy is L.A. So you got to send the boy to some place where there's some good, clean air, like Switzerland. Send the boy to Switzerland, and you won't have all these temptations that L.A. has, and the boy will be good. Well, Tommy found plenty of trouble in Switzerland. And the pristine environment of Switzerland was soiled by Tommy. And so this is a common misconception that sin comes from temptations. We just get rid of temptations, change the environment, we get rid of sin. But the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible doesn't agree. Why? Because each one of these wrong explanations takes a view of sin like it's an external problem. It's something external to me. It comes from the society. It comes from the family. It comes from the environment. And when a man gives any of these explanations for the origin of sin, the man's acting like the Teflon man. Nothing sticks. In other words, he doesn't take responsibility. The first Teflon man was Adam. You know, Adam went through the whole Teflon man routine with God when God questioned him after the fall in Genesis 3.11, Genesis 3.11, and God said, hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat it? And the man makes a full confession. And the man said, okay, I make a full confession. She did it. <laughs> The woman whom thou gavest me to be with me, she gave me of the fruit, the tree and I did eat. Yeah, good old Teflon Adam. He points the finger. He says, oh God, I confess, she did it. Okay, now, it, that must have been a lovely evening for them that, that night between Adam and Eve. Now, the root problem with acting like the Teflon man is to view sin as an external problem. It was all my parents, it was my school, it was my family, it was my city, it was the society, it was the temptations, and that's the reason for sin, but that's all external 
And God says, no, sin is not an external problem. Sin is an internal problem. And sin comes right out of the heart of man. Sin comes right out from the inside of man. It just bubbles up and over. It's just like when a person gets upset, he flies off the handle and says, oh, I didn't know I had it in me. Yes, you did. Because what happens when you shake a glass of water, not water, when you shake a glass, what's inside comes out. Now, the reality is, is that sin is a very real personal problem for each one of us. And sin is our own personal problem. And the heart that sees sin as a personal internal problem takes full, complete responsibility and cries out like David did after his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah in Psalm 51.4, when Psalm 51.4, when David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, be clear when thou judgest. You know, David didn't make any excuses. He didn't say, it was a terrible time. It was too much pressure. We were under war. I was under all this pressure. She left her window open. He didn't say any of that. It was just like, David was saying, it was me, it was only me. I sinned against you. I have no excuses except that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And that's what put David on the road to getting help, getting the help from God. And just like the publican, the publican, he felt so bad about himself in Luke 18, 13, Luke 18, 13, that it says the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, when he said that, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That put him right on the road to getting help from God, which the Lord said he went to his home justified. So the Lord Jesus said, clearly sin comes from within. It's coming from inside, Matthew 12, 35. Matthew 12, 35, it comes out of either the good treasure that's in the heart or the evil treasure that's in the heart. You said in, in Matthew 15, 18, Matthew 15, 18, out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man. Luke 6.45, 6.45, Luke, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It comes right out of the heart, right out of the heart. That's the origin of sin, and that's what the Bible says about our heart. If we don't think so, then that also confirms what the Bible says in, Luke, in uh, Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, the verse does not just say, you know, some people's hearts is really bad. He's saying the heart, all men's heart, is deceitful above all things. Not, not, just, just, not just deceitful, deceitful above all things. Not just wicked, but desperately wicked. It's a terrible fact. It's a terrible fact. And man knows he's guilty. He knows he's guilty. And his heart is crying out for the removal of sins. Just take them away, remit them. He's crying out for the remission of sins. And all the altars and all the sacrifices and all the observances of the Sabbaths and all the the special clothes that have to be worn and all the restrictions of what can and can't be eaten and all the systematic prayers and all the beads, they're all from man's heart, an aching heart that's crying out to have his sins removed. Just like Donna was saying last week about the lady at the wailing wall there when she was trying to reach God by davening, by, by moving back and forth. I've seen it in Japan in front of the Osaka Hilton there when I went out one day and there was a, a, a bronze Buddha and there was a lady there and she was crying and she was crying and she was crying and she was petting the Buddha and she said, Kodasai, 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 please, please, please. It's this aching heart to have sins removed. 
But there's only one way. There's, God has only one method that can remove sins, and it's the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Moses says, behold the blood in Exodus 24, 8, Exodus 24, 8. Behold the blood, behold the blood. Now, from where Moses stood on that day, when he sprinkled the people and he said, behold the blood, he was standing at a particular point in history where he was looking forward to the day when the Lord Jesus would shed his blood as the blood of the covenant. But we stand on the other side of that point of history and we look backwards. That's the only difference. He looked forward, we look backwards on the day when the Lord shed his blood, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We could say to Moses, Moses, you stood on the, in the day that, and you, with the symbol of the animal blood, you looked forward to the blood of the covenant. But Moses, we stand here now with the symbol of the wine in the communion, and we now look backwards on the blood that was shed. That's the precious blood. That's the way to remove sin. God Now, God has only one condition. He has only one condition for a person to have their sins removed. And the shed blood, the only condition that God has, it's wonderful, because the fact that the Lord has shed his blood for forgiveness, for removal. You know, you know what's really uh, terrible for little kids? I know. What's terrible for little kids is that all the good stuff's on shelves they can't reach. You know, you know when I used to go, when I was a little kid, I was, you know, I, I, I used to, you know, hear about Ivan the Terrible in Russia, and I thought, oh, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to be Tommy the More Terrible. And so when I used to go over to people's house, they used to see me coming, and I, I used to see him in the windows quickly putting everything up on the upper shelves, you know, out of reach. And that's what, is, that's what kids think are terrible. All the good stuff's on the, the shelves they can't reach. And you ever see a kid where it, it, something's finally put down at their reach, and they go, oh, last, I can reach it. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has now put forgiveness and removal on, of sin on a shelf within reach for every person. Hallelujah for that. The removal of personal sin is now within the reach of everyone because all anyone has to do is Acts 16.31, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Or Romans 10.13, Romans 10.13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call, that's all. Finally, a reachable shelf. Now, you think back on, on the, those in Israel in that day, they had a lot of work to do. They had to go get animals. They had to watch the animals. I mean, they had, the priest didn't go get the animals. They had to go get the animals for themselves. And then they had the carter along. Come on now, come on. And they bring this goat, you know, and, and, and you know, okay, here it is. You know, okay, good, you know. And, and that's what they had to do. No, not anymore. Now it's just believe, just call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, a shelf that's within reach of everyone. You don't need money to go get goats or whatever to, for sacrifices. So the, removal, the reason removal of sin is now within the reach of every person is because when the Lord Jesus died, he died as a sacrifice for all sins of every person. Hebrews 9.28, Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sin of many. Many means everyone. It's nonsense to think a person would ever hear the words, oh, I'm sorry, I'm terribly sorry, but, well, the death of the Lord Jesus was not for your sins. It was for another person since you're not on the list. I'm sorry. You know, uh, I'm terribly sorry. There's no such thing as limited atonement. It doesn't exist. You know, Hebrews 2.9 but we see Jesus, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death 
crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He should taste death for every man. That means the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. His death was for every man. That's why the removal of sins is now within the reach of every person. He tasted death for the benefit of every person to have their sins removed. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. <laughs> 